Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio, a mailbag edition here with William Gardner again. William, thanks for joining me on another podcast. What do you think of these questions coming our way? I'm enjoying it. I think there's some good questions here. I think you need a special theme song for a mailbag edition of podcast, mailbag podcast. Or I could sing. No, nobody wants that. <laughs> As you know, Buff Stampede Radio is brought to you by the Everpillow, which is sold at infinitemoon.com. The Everpillow has been featured on the Today Show and in the Washington Post for a reason. They are fully customizable pillows for every sleep style. Just add or remove the natural fill to get the pillow exactly how you want. No chemicals, memory foams, or cheap polyfoams. All natural and ridiculously comfortable. Support a Colorado company that loves the buffs and makes an amazing product. Save 10% now at infinitemoon.com and use GoBuffs in the cart. Always free delivery and a 100-day risk-free trial. Every pillow by Infinite Moon, made by us in Colorado, perfected by you. You ready to jump in the mailbag? Let's do it. B.R. Buff asked, It seems in the past we have heard every year that the team is getting stronger, but the results on the field overall have not completely shown that the offensive line is strong enough to control the line of scrimmage. Mel Tucker is big on winning the one-on-one battles, and strength, among other things, play into that. What has changed to improve and increase team strength, especially on the lines? Well, I would start out by challenging your premise a little bit on this. And everybody assumes that strength is the be-all and end-all of offensive line play, when in reality, I'd say it's third or fourth on the list, quite frankly. And our problems on the offensive line the last six years have not primarily been about strength. They've been about technique and teaching guys how to play the game. Uh, If you take the guys who win strongman competitions around the world every year they couldn't play offensive line because they're not athletic enough so strength in and of itself is not is not the ball game really you need to have a certain amount of size and then you need to have athleticism and length and you need to be able to know the techniques because everything about offensive line is so technique intensive so i don't know well i personally do not believe that strength or size was the issue on our offensive line the last few years. It's that they didn't know how to play the game. They weren't taught how to play the game right. At the same time, though, you want to get to a place where you don't have a 260-pound Frank Phillip out there as a true freshman. Uh, You want guys to be able to develop more before they're put out in that position. Sure. You know, know, ideally you'd plug in, you know, three or four new fourth or fifth-year guys every year to replace the guys that graduated. You'd never play a young guy. But we've all seen times over the course of watching football for however many years where the true freshman comes in and he's pretty darn effective on the offensive line. And quite clearly a guy coming out of high school doesn't have the strength of a guy five years later. So it's really about, in that instance, athleticism and technique. So, yeah, I think we need to be bigger and stronger up front. But I I don't know that it would have paid off necessarily without the proper techniques as well. And – Getting people, getting the right guys in the right positions is, is a big thing on the offensive line because some guys can play all five positions and some guys can't. And, you know, some guys can play both tackle positions and some of them can't uh, because it's entirely, surprisingly enough, it's entirely different to play on the right side than it is on the left side because you do different things with your hands and your feet. So strengthening is a is a huge thing and to answer the actual question here what has changed to improve and increase team strength especially on the lines well first of all they're they've intensified the strength program um you know having that nine week session instead of uh four or five or six weeks whatever it was that it used to be um 
in the wintertime is a huge deal because there's all kinds of things you do in strength training in terms of periods. You know, you, you, you lift this way for a certain number of weeks, and then you lift another way for another certain number of weeks, and then you lift a, another way to get right up to playing time. And if you don't have enough time, you don't, you're not able to do that. So the nine-week winter conditioning session was already one really big, important thing that we've seen change. They're, I think they're working at a much higher intensity and, and work rate in the weight room. They've hired a couple of additional strength and conditioning coaches in there, which makes a big difference because you got a lot of dudes in there. And so, cool to see Dee Goodson back right. in the program. Isn't that fun? That's really exciting. Yeah, and uh, the more coaches you can have in a weight room, the better – to make sure everybody in there i don't know if, if you if you've been in that cu weight room it's a big room and one guy can't see everybody in there so there's more coaching going on that's gonna make a big deal and then quite frankly recruit bigger guys which is what we're doing you know and and i think adam spoke with drew wilson he talked about you you bring in bigger guys and i can give you bigger guys which kind of sounds ridiculous but that's the uh, one of the things i think when we see these five new ginormous guys come in on the defensive line wow all of a sudden we're going to look bigger aren't we go buffs 80 asked if there was a team you could pick that would be in our schedule every year who would it be well i'd like to see wake forest you know i spent a year there was not expecting that. no well it's, it's not what everybody else i, I you know there, i think my names are, are not like i so i had wake forest georgia tech virginia Maybe the Mississippi schools, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, which are not – they're not world beaters, maybe not the most exciting teams in the country, but they're in places where we're recruiting now and uh, fun places I would like to go as a visiting fan. Um, so, I don't know, that's kind of what that, – that, those are the things that came to my mind. I didn't want to add, like – I don't think we need to be adding Ohio State and Alabama. And, you yeah. Know. I will say I would prefer the way they're scheduling right now over – having one team to be on the non-conference schedule every year especially given with you know Pac-12 having nine conference games I like scheduling one marquee team that you can right. get a home and home with I like having an FCS program on there because you need to get some wins I like the fact that they're not going to have to play CSU every year but I like that that's still going to be part of you know off and on they're going to play them I, right. I think people will most CU fans won't admit it but there might be a small part of you that once there's a break from playing CSU, it'll be more exciting, especially with it going right. back to campus. Well, and that's how I feel about the Air Force game this year. I'm very excited about that game. It'd be a lot of fun. I mean, that's a that that's a super exciting team to see on our schedule for me. It's different, you know. It's not like it, it, when we go if we play there, it's not a big road trip or anything. But it's a totally different kind of football that we'll see on the field, and, and I think it'll be fun. So. Yeah, I, I like moving it around. Those are the kind of teams that I, that that I had thought about. I mean, there's there's um, you know we're really recruiting Mississippi a lot now, so maybe Mississippi State and Ole Miss, some of those teams but, down there. I mean, you schedule it so far out. Who knows? Well, that's it's still going to be the right. case when they right. play a game. If you put a gun to my head and said you have to play one non-Pac-12 team every single year, I'm picking Nebraska because last year that was fun. It's the closest right. thing that CU has to a rival. And they're missing that in conference play, and yeah, there's some bad feelings against Arizona State, and some you know, different fans have different feelings about different Pac-12 schools. But it's pretty clear when it was leading up to that game, it kind of got everybody's emotions back right. from the old 
Big 8, Big 12 days, and going out to Lincoln and covering that game and, of course, how the game ended. It was it was a great experience. And, there, you know, there's still the nastiness between the two fan bases. And even after the game, there was all that, you know, back and forth and jawbone. And, and I just saw an article, I think, on the, on the Nebraska site, you know, uh, doing a preview of Colorado, and, and they, and I think the guy started out by saying, "Yeah, our wannabe little brother." Okay, see, so the the, the even after all these years, that you want that though. Feeling, it's good, yeah, it's... right, and because it it kind of gets you going, and you want to you know say something back. But when we talk about scheduling teams, what kind of what kind of things are you looking for? Do you want to see like top ten teams on our schedule, or I, I want animosity and a rivalry. That's what I want because again, Colorado doesn't have that in the Pac twelve. And Nebraska is so easy to hate because they're so right. nice to your face, and right. then they're so brutal on social media. Right. And they're so and they're well. Let's get nasty here. They're so delusional too. I mean, they still think that they're the the nineteen nineties Nebraska Cornhuskers, and they haven't done anything in years. Yeah. So, but I would prefer playing Nebraska. Yeah. And then maybe CSU for a couple of years and then taking a break from that and then yeah. going back and keeping both those schools as part of the future schedules. But, again, I wouldn't want to do that necessarily every year. Right. That'd be fun. I mean, you know, i like to see Michigan State on our schedule. That'd be fun. I wouldn't mind if they scheduled San Diego State. It'd be yeah, fun yeah. There you go. That's place a good to one. go, you know, right. travel. That'd be a good one. So, yeah, things like that. Don't ever put Hawaii on our schedule again, please. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Sorry, I ripped open a wound there. <laughs> No question. Let's move along to our next question. Doug5374 asked, If all of the current quarterbacks remain on the roster, there will be four scholarship quarterbacks this time next year with the arrival of Brendan Lewis. It seems that each one may have the ability to play at a Power 5 school. Without naming anyone, but from talking with folks around the program, do you have a feeling that any of the current quarterbacks may be thinking of a transfer? One thing unique about the quarterback position is that there is only one that can play at a time. Lewis is five months from signing his letter of intent, but he's already said that he does not plan to be sitting on the bench for two years. As a current quarterback, I would either say, bring it, or if I were afraid of competition, I would begin packing my bags. Well, yeah, if a quarterback's afraid of competition, I think you're Jay Johnson, you you give hand the bag to them for them to right, pack it right. because that's not a mentality you can have in that room. Well, and you see all the top quarterbacks go to the same schools, and so obviously quarterback is not a position where guys are afraid of competition. They all think they're the best guy that ever came along. Yeah. Um, you know, with regards to the particular question, I have no information. I've heard no rumors, innuendo, handwriting on a wall or anything about anybody leaving. Well, if you're, um, if you're Tyler Lytle or Sam Neuer and – there's a point where you're going to be graduating pretty soon, and you could be a grad transfer somewhere. If you're buried on the depth chart, right. I don't think anyone would blame them for leaving. I think both those guys, and this is just my speculation, they're waiting to see how it plays right. out after Steven Montez leaves. And I, I think both those guys have potential. I will say with Sam Neuer, take what you saw at the spring game with a grain of salt, given who he was throwing against. And right. Again, he had really good receivers against really bad cornerbacks, and I, he's he's better than what he's shown in games yeah. to this point, but he, I, I still doubt that he's the heir apparent to Steven Montez. Well, and, and you know I, I'm not a, I'm not a quarterback guy, so take what I say with a grain of salt too. But you know I just haven't seen anything from Lytle or or um, um, Sam Neuer. Sam Neuer that says to me they're the next guy. Now maybe that starts to happen this fall. Maybe they get into a game when Montez has to go out and they show us what we need to see. 
but neither one of them has really blown the doors off for me. So I'm looking at Stenstrom and Lewis, and let's see what happens next spring. So, I mean, if Stenstrom or Lewis comes in next spring and they're lighting the world on fire and they're number one, number two, and whatever, you know, whichever one is on top, then, yeah, probably some of these older guys are probably going to move along. But at this point, it's way too early to speculate because we I couldn't even tell you who the backup is going to be this year. Yeah. Much less who's going to not mm-hmm. take uh, Stephen Montez's. My place. guess is it's going to be Tyler Lytle, but that's it's going to be a close race. Right. Tyler Lytle has quite a bit of arm talent, and I bumped into his dad after the spring game. He talked about how much he likes this offense, and it suits him a little bit better than what they ran in the past. Right. And with Brendan Lewis, we're going to do a Buff Stampede film room on right. him, so we'll share our thoughts on that. But with any player especially a quarterback you've got to wait till they get on campus before you start having right. strong imp- imp- right. opinions of them right yeah i mean somebody somebody mentioned uh, brendan lewis in the same sentence with with cordell stewart i'm like okay let's gonna hold off on that for a yeah. second yeah well blue sky buff asked and it kind of, kind of falls in line with our last question who is our starting quarterback in 2020 and 2021 and who is first backup is blake stents from a possibility you just said you don't even yeah. know who our backup is this year it, right I mean, I'd love to go out on a limb here, but I have no idea. I would lean towards either Tyler Lytle or Brendan Lewis, I suppose, yeah. if you put a gun to my head. I think Stenstrom's in the mix. I mean, I you know, from everything I've heard, he's got a tremendous talent and and arm ability, and I don't know. We'll see what happens. Again, it's just way too – we, we haven't seen him on a field, so we don't know. The, the question with Blake Stenstrom that I have after watching his senior season at Valor is does he have the moxie – and the it factor that you need from a starting quarterback at this level. Right. There were times it looked like he got nervous in games, and he he did have that horrific head injury that that season. Right. I don't know how much that played into it, but yeah. And by you know, we, by, we haven't seen him enough in, in right. high school games, much less at the college level. And by contrast, Brandon Lewis has been a starter for what three, four years, three years going on four. All state guy in Texas as a right. sophomore and as a junior. So he's got a lot of playing time under his belt. That will transfer to the next level. Who knows? Yeah. All right, this is one of my favorite usernames to read off here. Anon1587668 Scout asked, When John Emery came in, he wanted to make the Buffs a tough, physical running team. Coach Tucker wants to do the same. Why will this time be different? Better staff? The fact that they instantly brought in some bigger players? Thank you. I love John Embry as a human being. But the differences in terms of experience coaching at the college level between him and Mel Tucker is huge. Yeah. And say what you will about hiring two quality control coaches from Georgia, but Jay Johnson has been a successful play caller at multiple stops. Eric Bieniemy had never called plays when he came to Boulder in 2011. Tyson Summers has been a defensive coordinator at multiple colleges. He was a head coach at the age of 36. Yeah, they didn't go so well. But he was 36 years old, and he got that opportunity. Greg Brown had never been a sole defensive coordinator at a college program when he was brought to Boulder back uh, with, with Embry. I mean, yeah, and you 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 look at you look at Mel Tucker, and his college coaching resume is Georgia, Alabama, Ohio NFL. State, NFL, right? I mean, and his his coaching mentors, Nick Saban. Anybody ever heard of that guy? 
blanking on the Ohio State coach that won a he won a championship. He's, he's Jim been, Trestle. Jim Trestle. I mean, he's been a part of two national championships. He knows what it takes, and he played in the national championship. Georgia was in the national championship two years game ago. two years ago. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So he's been doing this at the highest level at schools. So you want to talk? Everybody talks about Alabama and Georgia in terms of talent. What people miss about those teams is they're tough. They're tough. So when he comes in talking about running the ball and being tough, he knows what he's talking about because he's been there and he's done it and he's seen it up close and personal. So um, I I think John Embry wasn't prepared by his own background to be a head coach yet, and I think Mel Tucker is. I, Not to belabor this point because it just doesn't matter anymore, but – I think Greg Brown and Eric Bieniemy filled in their roles as coordinators more than John Embry did as a head coach because a lot of being a head coach is dealing with the media, which he right. was great with. So a lot of the upfront and, and just being a likable guy and a good face of the program, he was that. But you can't rank dead last in the FBS ranks in scoring margin and keep your job. It doesn't yeah. work that way. And there was a lot of conflict on that staff, and at least so far. Uh, and, and that that is – that goes to John Emery, and that was yeah. where he did fail because you can't have a quarterback's coach basically want to leave after three games of the season because he doesn't want to deal with the infighting on the staff. That's not okay. Right. And that's and just your job as a head coach is to not have that happen. Right, and I, and I think at least what we've seen so far, and it's really early in, in the whole new regime, but this coaching staff really seems to like each other. I mean, from what I see so far, they really seem to work well together in all the aspects of college football, you know, where recruiting is just as important as player development, which is just as important as play calling or what have you. And from what I can see so far, this staff seems to really mesh really well. And the other thing I would say in answer to the original question was take a look at the guys, the players that Mel Tucker has brought in. He ain't kidding. He's bringing in some huge dudes that he's going to line up and say, stop us and that's a big and that that to me is when you start bringing in those 320 310 pound guys on both sides of the line you're serious about getting tough and knocking people around yeah and and probably shouldn't even continue on with the the john embry comparisons but eric Bieniemy was also a finalist for the head coaching job and so you had an interesting dynamic with the head coach and offensive coordinator and those guys love each other but there was maybe a little bit of a kind of a power struggle situation with Mel Tucker. There is not another coach on this staff that doesn't know who the the man is. <laughs> yeah, it, it's that's that's a good point. I mean, it, there is no question who's the boss in Boulder now. There is no question who the you man see him is. out there during the spring game. Yeah. he looks like a boss. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so I I, th- I think it, it's very clear to me that it's very different. And you know, we've got the offensive line and defensive line coaches to do what he's talking about doing. And so I'm very optimistic about it. Puerto Rico Buff asked, question on linebackers. Three very good junior college guys are coming to compete right away. Does Jonathan Van D stay number one? With the new redshirt rule, that allows players to play in up to four games and still redshirt. Does it make sense to redshirt the junior college guys? Do you stick to the adage junior college guys play right away regardless i think redshirting junior college transfers is feasible with the new redshirt rule cu looks deep at linebacker i'll let you jump in but i will disagree that cu looks deep at linebacker i i think we've got like the defensive line 
the majority of our linebackers are, are yet to set foot on campus. Well, not a majority uh, in terms of numbers, but in terms of the guys that are going to compete, um, we've got those three JUCO linebackers coming in, and, and you know they all they look good on paper. There's positive things that we look at. I think Quinn Perry is going to be an absolute stud, but until they get into some Pac-12 games, we don't really know for sure. Jonathan Van Deest, we're all very high on, but he hasn't played in a, in a Pac-12 game yet, really, at least not to any uh, noticeable extent. I think we've got. In my view, we've got two, I think, two proven NFL-caliber linebackers in Nate Landman and Carson Wells. Beyond that, we've got a lot of question marks. A lot of potential with these guys. Now, nobody works harder than Jonathan Van Deest, and he looked really good in that spring game. Give it to him, and, I, and I'm not taking anything away from him, but you know, until guys play when it's really, truly live, you just don't know. So are we deep in linebacker? Maybe. Remains to be seen. I like Quinn Perry a lot. Josh Allen is super highly rated. And so we're going to have some competition there in the fall. Uh, you could probably redshirt Jamar Montgomery because yeah. he's coming in as an outside guy. You've got Follow. You've got Collier. You've got Carson Wells. There. Changum. And Changum, who's also senior. So right. I, I think it would be smart to redshirt right. him. But the inside guys, and again, th- those are guys that can help you on special teams. Yeah, and so it's not like they're a complete waste if they're not out there for 400 right. defensive snaps. And, you know, he asked a question in here, do you stick to the ad as a junior college guys play right away regardless? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. If you can redshirt one of these guys without impacting your depth, then yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and Nate Landman plays so physical. We talked about it on right. other podcasts. Yeah, you, you, you'd love to see him play the majority of the snaps this season, but you've got to have some depth ready to go right. just in case. And I think Quinn Perry on his film plays exactly like Nate Landman, so I'm very excited to see what he brings to the table. But there are a lot of question marks at linebacker right now. Yeah. Dorno 9 asked, defensive line seems to be the weakest position depth-wise on the team to this point. Do you believe there is enough talent coming in the fall to make this a bowl team? My answer is yes, absolutely. I, I think so. I think we've, pending somebody coming in and being really a superstar, I think we've identified our three starters in the three-man front. And I think they all look, they could all be pretty special, frankly. Um, and then we got five big bodies coming in, and and one of those is a, is a fifth-year guy, or no, maybe a third- or fourth-year guy, Janaz Jordan. He's Juco, right? Right. Yeah, so so he's at least an older guy coming in. So out of those five guys, I think we at least start off better than we were last year when we had to play a true freshman at one of those spots. Yeah, but that was because Antoine was a pretty special young talent. Yeah, Lloyd Murray might be that guy too. All right. I don't know, you know. We'll, we'll see. I mean, do you do – you... I, well, I think Israel Antoine was the first true freshman that started as a defensive lineman. The, the season opener program history, so yeah, I don't I don't see that happening back to back seasons. But but who who okay and and not, not not to get into a fight, but just play a little devil's <laughs> yeah, advocate. Yeah. Who did he have to beat out? It's it's a good point. Yeah, you know, I mean, we have not had real depth on the defensive line here. Well, since before the McIntyre regime, and uh, so we're going to bring five guys in. We'll. Any of those guys step up? Well, again, remains to be seen. That's one of our biggest question marks. But I think we got enough there to make a bowl game, which was the question. Yeah. And one guy we talked about before even starting to tape this 
that maybe needs to be mentioned here is Dante Sparacco. Oh, yeah. Now is, yeah. has his hand in the ground and he's not your typical walk-on. The reason right. he's a walk-on is because he left and wanted to come back. You're not coming back on scholarship until you prove something. Right. And, and, and you know, I had no not thought about him really at all except for when they said he was coming back until that spring game. And I was super impressed, super impressed with what he did in the spring game playing defensive end. I mentioned this to you. I usually defer to these coaches that are around these players as much as they are. And they're trying to win football games. It's it's their livelihood. Otherwise, they're packing their bags right. and moving their family. Right. But every once in a while, you'll see a guy out of position. And, and Dante Sparacco, it was – it was square peg round hole with him as an outside linebacker. He's not quite as explosive as you need for that position. And he's always, since he was a sophomore in high school, had the frame where you go, that guy's going to be a defensive lineman someday. Right. I don't know why they fought that so much. And maybe he doesn't even transfer because the big reason he left is because he didn't get along with his position coach. Well, he would have been coached by Quan Drake. So right. I don't know why it took so long for him to put his hand in the ground, but it's good to see him do that finally. Right. So he's another guy that, that'll be there in the mix. So, yeah, I, I think there's enough guys there. You know, I don't know that we went to, went to bowl game. Well, you know, in 2016, we played three guys on a defensive line. Almost in, uh, uh, Jace Frankie played a little bit. But we went through that whole entire 10 games, 10 win season, primarily playing three guys. Okay. So you can do it. It's not. You got to be lucky. You got to be lucky with the injuries for sure. So do we have enough to get to six wins? Absolutely. I think so. Why Buff asked, it seems like this staff is larger in numbers, and this is a theme I've heard being discussed by fans. But it is, is it actually larger? What would be the benefits? Recruiting, game prep, and analysis? I don't. I think the same number of people are on the staff because when they have the the notes they give the media, it looks the same. They do. I, I think they have a little bit more on the recruiting side. Yeah, I think there's a couple. But they also had to replace some people. Right. Yeah. It feels like there's a, maybe a couple extra people in the recruiting staff, and but they, that might just be they're more active on social media, right. more out. Well, from, and, you know. And there's there's clearly they've they've increased the size of the strength and conditioning staff by a couple of guys. I, I think did. they had Drew Wilson told me they had four before. I thought he had. I thought he. Well, I don't know. He had three, I, I he had three, and then so unless they have more than three now, it's the same number. Yeah, and I don't know if they had if they have more quality control guys now than they did before. So I guess we don't. I guess we don't have an answer to your question. I, I think it's a pretty similar staff size, yeah. but I think, and I do think this is true. They're just more active on social media, yeah. so it makes it look like the staff is bigger. Would there be benefits to having more staff? Absolutely. I mean, you. you I don't think most people can begin to understand how much work goes into preparing a football team at any level, even a high school level, but much less at this level. You know, when you when you're talking about recruiting, they don't magically come up with the names of these guys. They got to watch film of thou- somebody somebody has to watch film of thousands of guys and weed out the guys that can't play at this level. And so the actual assistant coaches are only looking at the at the guys that are cut off the top. And so you got to have that recruiting staff in there. What they do all year is watch film of dudes and see who can play, right? Um, and then in terms of scouting other teams, so there you take any you play a twelve game schedule, right? You could potentially watch hundreds of hours of film on each one of those opponents if you had time to break down what they do and to try to understand what your opponent does. Somebody's got to do that. And then, frankly, when you've got really good quality control, what they're doing is looking at, at you. So they're looking at your practice film and saying, well, who's doing things well? What are we doing right? They they look at your game film and they say, well, 
what are we giving away? What are our tendencies? What do we need to kind of shake things up a little bit? Who's not getting the job done? So there's endless amounts of things that can be done, and you couldn't have a big enough staff if you had the money and the rules allowed it. You couldn't have a big enough staff, frankly, for all the things that need to be done. Wyo Buff also asked, can you lay out a timetable for fans leading up to the season? Big recruiting weekend, summer arrivals, fall camp. What can players and coaches do in the summer before fall camp? So June 7th and June 14th are going to be pretty big official visit weekends for the Buffs. So that's definitely a couple weekends to spend some time on the website. The summer strength and conditioning program for the returning players begins on June 2nd. That coincides with the start of summer school. The Buffs are going to be hosting a couple high school individual camps in Boulder on June 7th and June 20th. They'll be doing some satellite camps, but the satellite camp thing has gotten a little bit more restricted. There's only so so many days you can actually be out on the road doing that because it got a little out of control there. Uh, So we'll be doing some of those. I don't have all those dates in front of me. The players will report for camp on August 1st and conduct their first practice the next day. They'll conduct their first padded preseason practice on August 6th. And then he asked about what can they do with the players. Summer activities for football are limited limited to eight hours per week, which coaches can be present at but can't have a football there. And they are limited to two hours of film review per week in the summer. But the players can organize themselves and run player-led practices. Right. The players can do as much as they want. Yeah, as long as you can't, it's not being behind. You can't the tell Stephen Montez he can't go to the park and throw to receivers. Right. So that really comes down to the leadership question: Do we have leaders on this team? And I think back to being in in, in the team house back in the days when when late '80s and, and early '90s, and I distinctly remember you know a time Eric Bieniemy saying to somebody in there saying, "Look, if you don't want to work hard, I don't care how good you are, get lost because we don't need you." And that's the kind of leadership we need to get guys to step up and show up every day and really, really work hard to improve themselves. And I keep bringing up 2016, um, and one of the things we heard all summer long was was how the, the those senior leaders on that team got everybody together and really worked hard. So there's so much they can do in the off season to get themselves better and to make make themselves ready for the season. In the yeah, the coaches are limited to two hours of film study. But especially with the new system on both offense and defense, those guys can study that on their own. And right. If you have a Nate Lamman bringing other inside linebackers right. in there, a Tim Lanott, the offensive lineman, organizing that stuff, yeah, it's huge. Right, those older guys that have been around the block a few times and know how to watch film and what have you, yeah, you can get a lot done. GoBuffs88 asked, What former or current NFL wide receiver would you compare to LaVisca Chenault? Which NFL team would put him in the best situation to succeed? early in his career well the name i come up with is mike evans from tampa bay who's a huge wide receiver and a, and a mismatch you know one of the top wide receivers i think in the league he's six five where lavisca's maybe six three but they're both around 225 230 and um that's a different kind of wide receiver uh, that really creates mismatch problems that's that's who who i thought of dating back to his high school film watching lavisca chanel at desoto Maybe the dreads is part of it, but Larry Fitzgerald's oh, always yeah. somebody that he's reminded me of. Right, that's a good one. I don't really follow the NFL close enough to know. I mean, right. obviously, any team that needs a receiver, they can play right, you know, to play right away. Well, and you know, he's being looked at as a as a maybe a, anywhere in the first round if he has a big season this year. So somebody who takes him, presumably, that's their biggest need. So 
it would seem logically that whoever drafts him, there's there's going to be a good situation for him there. Yeah. Wind in Buff asked, it seems like Coach Tuck is taking a national approach to recruiting. Do you think this will be successful? A larger player pool, but in the past we've had a tough time keeping kids from certain areas. Well, I think there, you know, I think I read that between the lines to say from the south that we don't keep kids from the south. Um, in response to that, I would say, well, we got a big part of our coaching staff is from the south now, and so that if there's a cultural element, maybe those kids and those coaches will fit better and if you bring more of those kids from that area then they have more people from where they're from that makes more sense and you know at the end of the day kids stick around when you win you know our problems with keeping people around i think well uh, under hawkins i you know i'm trying to i'm gonna try to be nice about this but our head coach was a nut and we didn't win a lot that guy's enough yeah he didn't sure you know, that's one thing I will say about Mike McIntyre is when their coaches were on the road, he'd say, hey, if you see the school janitor, ask him about the player. Right. What is he like in the hallway? Right. What do people think of him? Dan Hawkins, man, he did not vet these guys at all. Right. That that 2008 class that ranked 15th in the country, I mean, what a, nightmare. What a cast of characters that, that group right. was. Oh, my God. Yeah, so so that's a big part of it. And I think I think that we have a much more professional staff that's going to go into those details about the, these guys. And, you know, they're bringing them up here on visits and what have you. I, I To answer your question, I love it. I think it's great, and I think it's going to be successful. And I think we're already seeing a lot of guys coming in from uh, areas that we haven't really recruited much recently. You know, Jake Ray out of Georgia, come on, that's crazy. I love it. Who, who can not love that? Uh, you know, three guys from Michigan. I um, love that because I feel like there's yeah. not as much of a culture shift from right. the Midwest to right. Boulder. I think, yeah, I think, I think, you know, places like Detroit and, and places like Michigan, they're not going to be freaked out by the weather, and those cities up there are much more like what they're going to see in Boulder. So I love the the three guys coming in from Michigan. That's very exciting to me. But we had somebody on the board ask me, why don't we recruit St. Louis? There's a lot of talent there. Well, you you have to have some ties to the area too. You right. don't want to just go into a place. Where you have no ties, and you can you can stretch yourself too thin, and that's a concern if you're going to recruit nationally. Is you have to really pick your points and still make Texas, California, Colorado right. the main priorities, uh, and then then you you kind of branch out from there. And yeah, these guys have connections to Georgia, so of course you're going to go there. Well, and you know, back in the Bill McCartney days, we really recruited St. Louis very well, but Gary Barnett had roots there. Yeah, you know, so that's why we went there and we were successful because he had played at Missouri, and so uh, you know, as you said, there was a connection there. Buff in Vegas asked, "What's the biggest difference in the type of players this staff is recruiting compared to the previous staff? Aside from pure size for linemen, is there any specific quality they target with other positions?" I'm still kind of gauging that. It's so right. early on. Yeah, I, I, I it, it strikes me. Th- watching the film of these kids and kind of doing the homework on them there's an intangible i'm gonna try to describe it there seems to be more passion to how they play the game a lot of these guys that they're bringing in that 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 you know and i'd have to i'd have to watch film and show you what i mean but i don't know i think they're looking for guys who love the game of football and not to say that the last staff didn't, but obviously size and athleticism. Well, you know, I had a note when we were talking for our last podcast that um, it seems to me that that Mel Tucker's 
going all in on the SEC way, big and fast, big and fast. Okay, and so that's the biggest thing to me is we're. I I feel like to me, and correct me if you think I'm wrong, but man, we're seeing some speed. We're seeing some speed coming into Boulder on some of these visits, and you know, a guy like Jake Ray is already ready to play size. Carson Lee is already ready to play size, and so those are the biggest things to me that that come through. We got another recruiting question here. B to the offs asked, do you have a comparison for Brennan Lewis ceiling next commit Jake Ray? Any other targets that intrigue you that the buffs have a legit shot at? And J dub nine, two, five asked, who are your top five wants that we have a legit shot at for this recruiting class, regardless of position? You know, for Brendan Lewis, the guy that keeps coming to my mind is, um, and I'm blanking on his name, the, 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 the quarterback in the Hawkins era, then we, we wrecked his red shirt two or three times. Tyler, Tyler Hanson? Tyler Hanson. Okay. Yeah. Right off the top of my head, it seems like they had a lot of things in common. Now, okay, I'm sure you wanted me to say uh, some All-American or – Vince or, Young or something. Yeah, Cordell Stewart or, or what have you, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. I mean, look, if he was a Tyler Hanson, that would be a pretty darn effective quarterback. If that kid had played for a better staff, I think he'd have done a lot of things. But are, is that a fair comparison? No, not really, because I, I, you know, that's just off the top of my head. Okay. So Cole Taylor's got to be on my list of guys. Right. Uh, talk about a position of need tight end, a guy that can make plays as a pass catcher out of, out of that position, a guy that's in state. Um, and this staff came in, and they were kind of behind the eight ball with – a lot of these 2020 recruits, which sounds crazy, but just how accelerated this recruiting right. process has gotten. It's unbelievable. Um, so he, with all the options he has, I think that would be a huge get. Obviously, Jake Ray. Jake Ray. I mean, it, it starts and ends with Jake Ray. I mean, that's – you know, we've got a couple, we got a couple of four-star linemen over the last couple of years when there were issues, you know, when there were injury issues in both of those cases. And this is – be the first time when we get a legit high-level four-star guy early in the game who likes us. Uh, so J- it, it starts and ends with me for Jake Ray, and then yeah, Cole Taylor. No, that that's kind of a no-brainer. If if, if we re- really want to revamp this offense and use the tight end, that's the guy we want. Yeah, Jordan Berry was a 325-pound defensive tackle from California that is committed to LSU, but he visited Boulder in April, so. Keep an eye yeah. on that situation there. If, if I think CU is going to need to win quite a few games this year to you know yeah. flip a guy like that. Ricky Correa, I think he is the nose tackle of the future for us. If we can get him, I think he's our he's our next big body right there in the middle of the defense. Yeah. Uh, what about Patrick Jenkins? He's a defensive end from Louisiana yep. that's scheduled to take an official visit to to Colorado in June. And yeah, so you know, I think we're going to take if we get Jake Ray. You asked about what the next commit is. Well, knock on wood, Jake Ray. We we can hope, right? If we get him, I think we only end up taking one other offensive tackle. So, you know, maybe a, a Jalen Jeffers. I'm blanking on the name. The big kid from up in the Pacific Northwest. Really ginormous kid up there who I really like. And maybe we'll come up with his name here in a minute. But um, <clears throat> if we if we had Jake Ray, Carson Lee, and someone like a Jalen Jeffers or the kid I'm trying to think of up there, that would be a really good Caden Steven. Caden, yeah, with C A D Y, and yeah, that's the one I'm thinking of. Um, and, and those, th- so those two, Jalen Jeffers, Caden Steven, are the two guys I would like at offensive tackle. Caleb Fourier at tight end. Looking at running backs, Taj Brooks is a guy I, I wouldn't mind having be coming in as our running back recruit. JV on Sunday is a workhorse yep. back too. That would be a good get yep. there. So those are, those are my names. 
but obviously I'm I'm heavy I, you know we still need a tremendous influx of talent and size on both lines Buff in DC asked how often do you know a commitment is coming in advance so that you can have material prepared when it happens versus how many happen when you're unaware that it is going to happen hey, he knows everything in advance and he just holds it back from us well <laughs> Because they announce on Twitter now, it's it's almost every time you know in advance. And if you're smart, you pay attention to my crystal ball picks. It's the way of letting these kids have their moment, but still kind of dropping a right. little hint out there. Breadcrumbs. And I think I'm like 93%. So, I mean, I guess 7% of the time I'm wrong. But usually that happens when a, a kid later flips and I forget to change it. So it's very rare that, that we don't know what's coming and but aside from the Denver Post with Jake Moretti, generally people are smart enough to just let these kids. I mean, do you really need to break a commitment these days? Well, it's, and, it's all over Twitter thirty seconds right. after you if you broke it anyway, right. and then you've ruined the kid's moment. Like, what's the point? And it's not a huge scoop in, in a larger sense. If you're the Denver Post, I mean, you know, you're not going to sell more papers because Jake Moretti committed to see you. No. I mean, I get the old school journalism stuff, but right. that, that's more of uncovering corruption. Right. You're right. not doing that when you're covering recruiting. I'm sorry. Right. All right. Let's move along to our next question. Wild Buff asked, how has Juwan Winfrey looked in Broncos minicamp? I don't know, but he signed a rookie contract with the Broncos this past week. 160 grand uh, signing bonus. That's a nice little perk for somebody right. that, you know, we didn't think was going to get probably drafted. Right. And, yeah, because right. of his injury history. Right. It's the biggest, biggest real surprise for Buff fans on draft day, I think, was him getting drafted. And then, um, uh, so by all accounts, he's doing fine, but who knows until you put on the pads at this level and go against real real competition and defensive back. Yeah. I sure hope he stays healthy. I mean, yeah. Brian, and, Brian Howell and I were shooting those analysis videos during spring ball after their practices, and he's often in the background back doing, there, yeah. you know, doing work on his own. He's, I don't, I don't know if I've covered a guy that has a better work. Right. Ethic Nobody, nobody's going to work outwork that kid. So you know, we fingers crossed and hope he finally gets a break with the injuries. Yeah, it's a cool story. You know, it's Mike McIntyre took chances on some guys, but he would always kind of base it on their heart. And if they, he truly thought they wanted to be. Uh, you know, develop as a human being in addition to being a football player. And he got kicked out of Maryland with the Juco route. And it's a great story that he's had despite all those injuries. Right. I think uh, he still has that double move in the USC game. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and, and wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be fun if for the second year in a row, uh, a, a totally under the radar Colorado guy came into the Broncos and just lit it up. I mean, no how fun would that be? I yeah. mean, come on, geez. I don't know. I maybe would start helping our recruiting. Guys be like, "Well, man, maybe you should go to CU because you wind up being a great NFL player." Buff House asked, "With CU being a scholarship or two over the eighty-five limit, or with the possible desire to add an additional grad transfer, have you heard of any possibility of CU looking to gray shirt one or two guys in the twenty nineteen class? Specifically, I was wondering about Jake Wiley or Niku Pahahau due to their size and their need to bulk up." So CU is actually, whether or not Davis Price is going to be on scholarship, I, I heard that might have just been a one-year deal. If he's back to walk-on status this year, they're at 85 right now. If they're not, they're at 86, and I've heard rumblings of more attrition coming, and we're going to hear more about that when this summer semester begins. But 
I do think there is a little bit of room. So you wouldn't necessarily need to gray shirt right. one of those guys. Jake Wiley, I thought was going to have to gray shirt until I saw him at a spring practice. He's put on a lot of weight. Because really, I was, yeah. was going to say, if, if, if the one guy I would think needs the gray shirt or could benefit from the gray shirt is Wiley. I, I think Pohajo, he's ready to go. He needs to be on campus. Yeah. So I don't know if that's going to happen with Wiley, but um, I, I think I've, I've changed my opinion on that. I think he might be ready to go. We were also asked about the transfer portal and possible transfers coming in. I don't have any information on that at this point. I'm not sitting on anything. I'll certainly report anything when I can. We were also asked about John Tavius Johnson, uh, and we do have news on that. He entered the transfer right. portal. We talked about that on our other show. I'm going to close with this, William. This is a question I have for you. What would constitute a successful first year for Mel Tucker and his staff? Six wins in a bowl game. Period. Okay. End of story for me. I'd love to see eight wins. I don't know what – I, I, I can't really wrap my mind around the idea that we wouldn't get six wins, you know, because the last two years with everything going on, we still got five wins, and, and I, I, I think we ought to be able to better that. And so I don't want to – I don't think you put too much onto a first-year coach. Um, it may take some time to, to – turn the direction of this ship but um you know we were that close to, to winning six games both the last two years and, and i'm i just can't believe that we're not just as close now so uh six wins and get to a bowl game and that's it for me fair enough well william it was great having you on this podcast tyler zitzkins uh, had a lot going on in his life we'll get him back on Buff Stampede Radio. would love to have you come on again as well. I, I think it's good to change it up sometimes, and I really enjoyed you taking the time out. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's a lot of fun. I like doing it. We are now going to shoot some Buff Stampede film rooms on some of CU's top targets in the 2020 recruiting class, so definitely be sure to check those out on buffstampede.com. Thanks for tuning in.